Not John's Gospel, but the first epistle of John. And we pick up with chapter 2. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 12 through 14. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Just want to give you a quick announcement this morning, um, or this evening. On uh, Saturday, uh, our family will be going on our family vacation. So uh, we won't be here for uh, seven days from Saturday to, to Saturday. That means I won't be preaching this Sunday, but Bryce will be preaching this Sunday, and I know he'll do a good job. We won't have a Sunday evening service as it's 4th of July uh, weekend. Um, so I encourage you to stay healthy. Amen. Um, stay well, and I'll see you in a week. Amen. We do this once a year. And it's already paid for. Amen? I hope everybody's understanding what I mean. I'm going on vacation. And I'm staying on vacation. Until Saturday. Amen? Don't be upset with me. I love you. But my whole family will be together. And I don't have a very big family. And we don't do this very often. Amen? My son and my daughter and me. One day they're going to bring... People that I probably don't like that much along with us. So right now, it's just us four. Amen? So I will be on vacation. And you should be happy about that because I was talking to my father-in-law last night. They give his pastor a three-month vacation paid. Call it a sabbatical. My goodness. Just taking a week, folks. Amen? So there that is. Anybody asks, Brother Kyle is on vacation. He's not coming back for a week. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, so far in this letter, John's been answering some of the claims of the false teachers. It, it was very clear when we read this letter that there was heresy that was threatening the believers in that church. But now John encourages believers who are in the church. He kind of switches from speaking about those false teachers to speaking directly to, to people who are faithful. And he uses three different phrases to describe three different phases of the spiritual life. Now, spiritual growth is necessary in the life of any believer. The Bible tells us that when we get saved, we start our walk with the Lord as babes in Christ. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes, we start out this Christian life. So, spiritual growth begins at the inception of our spiritual life. When you are born again, when you are saved, that's when your spiritual life begins. And the goal of this uh, spiritual life is to grow in Christ-likeness. Romans 8.29 teaches us that the purposes of our salvation is to conform us into the image of the Son of God. Now that's not going to fully happen until we're with the Lord. 1 John 3.2 tells us that, that when we see Him, we will be perfect like Him. 
But it is our responsibility, knowing that we'll never be perfect on this earth, it's still our responsibility to pursue Christ-likeness while we live on this earth. That's our goal. That is what spiritual maturity is. It's Christ-likeness, and it's our responsibility, therefore, to pursue that. Uh, There's a big word that we use to describe spiritual growth in, in theological circles, and that word is sanctification sanctification. And while salvation is completely the work of God, as Jonah said in Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord, man is involved during this process of sanctification. In other words, we cooperate with the grace of God to grow in grace. We, we have to obey the commands of God. We have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in order to grow in the grace of the Lord. Now, refusing to grow in the grace of the Lord will result in leaving us in a perpetual state of spiritual infancy. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where he said, I could not speak unto you as unto, as unto men, but I had to speak unto you as unto babes in Christ. As if you had just been saved, as if you were just a, a small little child. But it can also result to uh, result in carnal behavior. First Corinthians 3 says there was strife and envying and all that because of their spiritual infancy. It can also, 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, lead to loss of spiritual reward in heaven. And 2 Peter 1.9 says it can get so bad that you doubt your salvation that you wonder if you are indeed saved at all. And so there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to stay in that stage of spiritual infancy. Now, spiritual growth does not happen automatically. As I mentioned earlier, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and then we grow in the Lord. Now, it doesn't matter how long you're saved. If you don't grow in your knowledge of the Word of God and apply that knowledge that you learn... You're not going to grow in grace. Just because you've been saved for 30, 40, 50 years, that doesn't mean you're mature in the Lord. It doesn't just happen. It's not just going to naturally one day you'll wake up and then you'll be there like a kid wakes up one day and he's an adult. That's that's not the situation at at, at all. Um, It takes effort. And this effort leads to wonderful blessings. As you grow in grace, you understand that you're pleasing the Lord, and and that's a great blessing in and of itself. And then you're able to discover that God has given you spiritual gifts to be used for the body of Christ, and that's a great blessing. Uh, You're able to conquer sin in your life. You're living a life of victory. That's a great blessing in your life as well. You begin to see fruit in your life as you see yourself having influence over people and you begin to see how God is using you to sharpen or encourage other people. And that's a great blessing. So we can just list all of these blessings that that are the result of spiritual growth, uh, growth. But pursuing spiritual growth takes effort. But that effort, when you look at all those blessings, it's, it's well worth it. And so tonight we look at John's uh, encouraging words on this subject of spiritual growth. Now the first level of of the spiritual life that he mentions is infancy. In verse 12 he says he writes to the little children. He mentions the little children as well in in verse 14. But the term for children in verse 12 is, is a general term. That simply means offspring. The term used in verse 14 is a word that describes a very young child. A child that's in need of 
maturity. A child that's in need of someone giving him or her daily provisions. And so here John's reference to little children is a symbolic description of a person who has been newly saved. A person who has just entered into the faith, just stepped over that threshold in the door of faith. And so what we see here is an underdeveloped Christian. An absolute Christian, but underdeveloped, immature, spiritual infants. Now let's look at what he says about them. He says that their sins were forgiven. No matter where the believer is in his or her spiritual journey, their sins are forgiven. Because the moment you're saved, the moment you're born again, the moment you're born from above, you're forgiven. You don't have to grow into that. You don't accomplish your sins being forgiven because you mature in the Lord. When you become a child of God, all of your sins are washed away. And John says that our sins are washed away for His name's sake. And that, of course, refers to God, to God's name. That means that your salvation ultimately is bringing glory to God. God saves you. Why? Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says, To the praise of His glory. God births you into the kingdom of God, wipes away your sin, and in doing so brings glory and honor to His own name. The second thing we see here is about them is they knew the Father. John says that at the end of verse 14. The picture here is of a baby who knows who its parents are. The youngest of children recognizes who their parents are. Children have a unique union with their parents. And so it is with a person who's been saved. Babes in Christ know the Father. In my prayer earlier, I was, I was, I was mentioning this verse from John chapter 17, 3. Where Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Knowing God equals salvation. And so the idea here is is that this new babe in Christ is united with God and experiences a kinship by virtue of this salvation that's taken place. They love God because God is their Father. They recognize what God has done for them. So the, the, the very or the most immature Christian, the newest of Christians, has a kinship with God. They recognize that now they're a child of God. And this stage, by the way, of spiritual infancy is is a beautiful stage in the Christian life. Everybody in the kingdom experiences this. Every single saved person experiences this. It's the stage in which we first experience the joy of our sins being forgiven and our union with the Father. You know, I I love to see a newly saved person. Because if you find a person who's been genuinely saved, a newly saved person, you usually find a person who is first and foremost, they have a hunger for the Word of God. They want to learn about God. But there's also a great joy in their life. They're, They're not ashamed of their salvation. They're curious. They want to learn what the Word of God teaches. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see that that person who who has been forgiven of their sins and now has a union with the Father. They're they're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's a natural thing. 
But guess what's also natural? Growing up. And the person who stays in that stage of spiritual infancy is in trouble. Just as if you had a child who, who everything looked fine, but then a few years passed and the child was not crawling, not walking, not forming any words, not able to let you know when it had to use the restroom, you'd begin to get worried and you'd say, man, we really need to take our child to the doctor because it seems as if our child's underdeveloped. You, you'd be concerned about that. And it's the same thing for a person who doesn't grow in the grace of the Lord, who doesn't get to the place where they begin to feed themselves, who doesn't get to the place where they begin to communicate with God and communicate with others. You begin to wonder, hey, something must be wrong here. So while this is a beautiful stage, the spiritual infancy is a beautiful stage and a natural stage and a stage in which every single believer passes through. It's not a stage in which we're meant to stay now, the second level of spiritual life is described with the phrase young men. They're mentioned in verse 13 and 14. This stage is a time in the believer's life where he or she begins to learn the Word of God and apply the Word of God to their life. Therefore, they begin to grow. A person like this becomes a soldier for the Lord. They recognize the danger of the spiritual life. They recognize the delights of the spiritual life. You know, when you're an infant, all you really recognize is the delights of the spiritual life, much like being a child. When you're a child, you know, it's just, as I said it before, you know, kids are happy because they have no idea what life's all about, right? They're not paying bills. They're not worried about, you know, so-and-so's sick and they went to the doctor and got a bad report. Kids just live in this, this stage of ignorance that, that, that causes them to be happy all the time. And it's the same thing when you get saved. You know, I, I can remember being in that stage thinking, well, this is wonderful. This is great. This is the most great, wonderful thing in all the world. All you see is the delights of the Christian life. But then as you begin to grow in the Lord, you realize that you, there's not only delights in the Christian life, there's danger in the Christian life as well. There's stuff we have to fight against. And John says two things about the young men in the Lord. He says, first of all, they have overcome the wicked one. In other words, they have recognized that there's a battle to fight. They've seen that there is a battle being waged, 1 Peter 2.11 says, in their souls. A battle in their souls. Maybe they think about Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. They recognize there's demonic forces out there. And they've learned that in order to be a good Christian, they have to fight the good fight of faith. Through faith in God and through the Word of God. They've experienced spiritual victories. They've overcome sin. They've, they've defeated Satan in their lives. And, and these victories have led them to grow in grace. But then he says that they are strong and the Word of God abides in them. And by the way, that's why they're strong. They're strong because they have overcome the wicked one. You know, the Word of God has no doubt become important to people like this because the, word, the Bible says the Word of God, that's your sword. That's your weapon. That's your offensive weapon against everything that's coming against you when you become a Christian. 
So these are people who study the Bible, who apply the Bible, who live the Bible. And we will never, ever, ever grow in grace until we recognize the importance of wielding that sword. Until we recognize the importance of learning the Word of God and applying the Word of God, we will never grow in grace because that is what strengthens us for growth. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. We grow by taking the Word of God and living the Word of God even as resistance comes against us. We live the Word of God. Therefore, we get stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord. You know, we need people like this in our churches. We need people who have devoured the Word of God and reap the benefits of devouring the Word of God. Because there is a serious battle that's being fought all around us. And if our churches are filled with nothing but spiritual infants, spiritual babies, we're in a whole lot of trouble. Because babies don't fight that well, do they? Babies don't really resist that well. All they are is babies. One of the things I've noticed is when a person just just gets saved and they haven't gotten past that stage of infancy, one of the things is, is that's when they're ripe for false teachers. False teachers will come in and confuse them. False teachers will come in there and tell them all kind of stuff that has nothing to do with God and they'll draw them away. When they're weak, I've seen it so many times that they prey upon people who are weak in the faith, spiritual infants. And if we're just depending on spiritual infants to fight the battles that we've got to fight, folks, we're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. We need men and women like, like uh, John mentions here because they protect the church. They recognize that we have to fight, we have to resist, and, and they're the people doing the ministry in the church. These are the people who are soul winners. These are people who are teachers. These are people who are ministry leaders. These are people who are earnestly contending for the truth. And until we're doing those things, we must just consider ourselves spiritual infants. Because those who are mature in the Lord are the ones who are fighting and contesting and contending and resisting. And and they are the great soldiers in the church. Along with the pastor and the other spiritual leaders, the other spiritual officers in the church, making sure that Satan does not have his way with the people of God. Now... The third level of spiritual life is described by the term fathers. We see it in verses 13 and 14. They're they're described very simply. Look how they're described. Um, Having known Him that is from the beginning. And so the the idea here is there's a deep and intimate relationship that's implied with, with these words. These are people that have moved from infancy to adolescence all the way up to fatherhood. And, and, and they haven't done this simply because time has passed, like I said before. A mere lapse of time does not cause spiritual maturity. Not at all. Many times you'll find some of the most spiritually immature people in your church and they'll be 60, 70, 80 years old because they never grew in grace. These are people who arrived at spiritual maturity 
through clinging to the Heavenly Father, through battling daily and seeking to know God in an intimate way. And because of their level of maturity, these are people in the church who should be respected greatly. These are people in the church who should be sought out for wisdom. The fact that they have known the Ancient of Days shows that they have an understanding of Him. And these are people who can help us and guide us in our spiritual life. 1 Timothy 5.1 says that they should not be quickly rebuked. Um, James 5.14 says that their prayers should be coveted. These are people who often serve as pastors in our church. They serve as elders in our church. They serve perhaps as deacons in our church, Sunday school teachers. These are people who have such a knowledge of God that it overflows into a unique service for the Lord through the local church. And these are people who are often the very backbone of a church. And if a church does not have these people, if a church does not have these people who have moved from spiritual infancy to adolescence to, 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 to an older person in the faith, that church is going to be in a whole lot of trouble. You ever wonder, and, and by the way, I don't want you to misunderstand me. As I've said before, in several different ways, I've told you that merely being a Christian for a long time doesn't make you spiritually mature, which means that a person can be younger, but yet still be greatly mature in the Lord. A person can be 30 years old and still be greatly mature in the Lord. So, so please don't misunderstand me. I'm prefacing something I'm about to say here because I don't want you to misunderstand me. But this is one of the reasons why when I look out there, we, we hear people say, you know, well, there's nothing with old people in that church. How many times have we heard that? I'm not going to that church because there's nothing but old people there. And I understand that because if you have nothing but old people in the church, it's a sign of a church who quit. It's a sign of a church who said, you know what, we're not going to reach people anymore. And that's wrong. But I'll tell you what I really worry about too. If you don't have any old people in your church, I'm worried. If all you have is a bunch of 20-year-olds in your church, a bunch of 25-year-olds in your church, there's probably not a whole lot of wisdom in your church because while you can be greatly spiritually mature at 25, I haven't met many greatly spiritually mature people at 25. Most of them are 30, 40, 50 and above. Why? Because they've gone through that process of an infant to an adolescent in the faith to, to an elder in the faith. And so I don't think that, that we should just buy into this idea that we see today of, you know what, we just need young people in church. No, we need all ages of people in our church. I mean, the, the, the ages of the people in the church should represent the symbolic levels of spiritual maturity in the church. That we have infants and we have adolescents and we have the elders in the church. We, we should have all of that physically speaking and we should have all of that spiritually speaking if we're a church that's doing what God has called us to do. We should all be striving for this father phase here that John mentions. Not simply for a title, not to say, oh, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, whatever. But we should be seeking it because of what qualifies us for that title. They are qualified because of their deep knowledge of God. And the greatest passion you have as a believer should be to know God deeply. What did Paul say? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection 
not just learning facts about him. Doctrine always has to be coupled with devotion. We can't lose the excitement of being a child as we grow in the grace of the Lord. But being a father that John talks about here is actually learning to combine the overriding characteristics of each of those phases. What do I mean? Well, we should love God like an infant always. Amen? In every phase of our spiritual life, we should love God like an infant loves its mother. And we've all seen that. We've seen the look between an infant and its mother. But we try to take the infant and it screams and cries because it wants to go back there, right? There's no better place for that newborn baby than, than, than his or her mother's lap. And there's an intimacy there that we should never get over. There should be a love for God, a love for the Father that we always have. No matter how old we are in the faith, no matter how mature we are in the faith, there should be a childlike faith and there should be a childlike love that we would have for our Father. I think that's why Jesus on several occasions commended little children and likened us to children. To, we should be like a child. And so we should always love God like an infant loves its mother. Moving to the next phase, what overriding characteristics should we take with us? Well, we should, we, we should fight for God like a young man. A young man who has strength. A young man who has courage. A young man who knows I've got time. Who's not afraid to fight. I've seen people grow older in the faith and, and lose their convictions. Not willing to stand up anymore. Not willing to, to do what's right. To say what's right as they got older. Folks, we should never lose that. No matter how old we are in the Lord. We all hear the old jokes about people like, you know, oh, you know, they're, they're, that's not the parents I grew up with. They're, they're just trying to get into heaven now. And, you know, we, we've heard those jokes and stuff. And most of the time we're joking, and I'm grateful for that. But I do think that there are times when, when people, you know, they, they lose their convictions when they get older. That they raise their kids the right way. But they're not raising their grandkids the right way, you know. If they've raised their grandkids the way they raised their, if they if they've raised their kids the way they raised their grandkids, who knows? Or kids would probably be in jail. Don't lose your passion to fight for the Lord. Don't lose your your zeal for for the house of the Lord for what's right. Take that with you in every level of your spiritual life. So we should love God. Like an infant loves its mother. We should fight for God like a young soldier fights. And then the third overriding characteristic is we should know God like an aged man does. To have that wisdom. That, that, that a lady who has lived for the Lord for 40, 50 years and, and, and bathed in the Word of God. Or a man who has stood strong and learned the Word of God and given great wisdom to the church and the leaders for years and years and years. We should always have that wisdom. And so we see here that, that, that that's what brings us to spiritual maturity. 
A love for God as an infant loves its mother. Courage for God as a young man who's a soldier. And knowledge of God as a wise man who has learned the Word of God and lived it for many years. And I think that we should simply look at our lives and determine where we are. Because once we do, then we can determine where we need to be. Am I in this infancy stage? Am I in this soldier stage? Am I in this this father stage? And if we're where we need to be through love for God and, and through a love for His Word, we'll eventually become the spiritually mature people that the Lord longs for us to be. But it will not happen automatically. This isn't a jack and the beanstalk thing. Where you get a magic seed, you throw it in the ground, and you come back the next day, and there you can shoot to the heavens. Not that at all. It's long, it's hard, it's purposing to grow in the grace of the Lord. And then we see the benefits. Now I want to give you a few thoughts as we, as we end here to kind of summarize what we've said tonight. And the first one is this. A refusal to grow in grace will, serious, will seriously hurt a local church. A local church will be affected in a great way. 1 Corinthians 3 is a whole chapter that teaches that exact thing. The church was staggering. Paul said, I want to preach to you on a deeper level, but I can't. I have to preach to you like you're babes in Christ. He said, you're fighting, you're fussing, you're all immature, you think you're more than you are, you're losing reward. I mean, he went on and on and talked about all the ways that that church was being hurt in 1 Corinthians 3 because the people would not grow in the grace of God. The greatest way you can help your church is grow in grace. It's to be a more mature woman of God, a more mature man of God, That's the greatest way you can help it. I mean, think about it. It, This is not rocket science. How can you be a better spouse? Or let's say it this way. How can you have a better marriage? There's so much in marriage you can't control. But there's one thing in marriage you can control. You, right? And so the best way to make your marriage better is to make yourself better, isn't it? To be the best you can be. The best husband. The best wife that you can be. And so it is with the church. You can look around and complain and get upset about things that are going on in the church. But the best thing you can do for a church is say, you know what? As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to love Him. I'm going to grow in the grace of the Lord. But a refusal of individuals in the church to grow in the grace of the Lord will hurt a local body. Whenever people in the body say, hey, we're going to grow in the Lord as individuals, you'll see a natural revival take place. The second summarizing point I'll, I'll say here is, is, is God's children know and love their Father. This is eternal life, that they may know Thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. It's about knowing God in an intimate way. It's about loving God. And, and if, if, if we ever think that, that people can be saved without loving God, we're misunderstanding that, that, that salvation is a relationship with God. 
And a person who never thinks of God, a person who doesn't love God, is a person who shows that, that they're not a child of God because the children of God, we want to be with the Father. We see Him. We want Him. We have a desire for Him. God's children know and love their Father. All to some degree. But some to a greater degree because they grow in grace. The third summarizing point I would say is, is spiritual babes fight each other. Spiritual young men fight the devil. Spiritual babes fight each other. Spiritual young men fight the devil. If you're a babe in Christ, that's what you're going to do. You're going to fuss and fight. But when you grow in the grace of the Lord, you're going to recognize, you know what, this isn't my battle. My battle is not with the people of God. My battle is with the enemy, Satan. And the final summarizing thought is this. The process from infancy to father is a natural one that can be experienced by all believers process of infancy to father that, that John mentions here is a natural process that can be experienced by every single believer. If you're saved in here today, you can grow to that place. We don't all have the same spiritual gift. That's true. But we can all be close to God. We can all be mature men and women in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room. You should never look and say, well, I, can, I could never be to that place that, that she is or that place that he is. You should never think that. We're all indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. We all have been saved by the grace of God. Christ Himself lives in us. And all we have to do is be transformed into the image of Jesus through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit. And that's available to the same degree for every single person in this room. No one has more of the Spirit than anyone else. The Spirit has more of some people, okay? But no one has more of the Spirit. I hope you understand what I mean by that. It's the same Spirit, but how much of you does He have? Not how much of Him do you have? We can all move in this process from being a spiritual infant to being a father or mother in the faith. The responsibility is ours. And I pray to God that we never stagnate in any of those phases. Let's always be moving. And by the way, and I don't want to preach this because I could. You can move back. Amen? You, you can be a spiritual adolescent and move back to a spiritual infant too. Sermon for another day. But just keep that in mind. If you don't grow in grace, you won't really stay where you are. You'll become less of what you already are if you don't grow in grace. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We praise you for all you've done for us. And I pray that each of us would recognize the importance of growing in our faith, moving from spiritual infancy to being an elder for you. Lord, we do love you. Again, we want to pray for John Saul's family. They need your comfort and mercy in a very real way. Help them, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all.